Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning. So we are starting a new sermon series that'll be just lasting a few weeks. And what we're doing is we are going to be preaching from the topics that God gives us in his word that reference who God is, who God is. This morning, I will be preaching on God is shepherd. God is shepherd. Now, in line with this, there's a very fancy word that those of us who study scripture utilize, and it's the word anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Let's all say it together. Ready? Anthropomorphism. Very good. And it's a word that basically means that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some of, primarily the Older Testament writers end up taking human attributes and explaining God through those. And so the purpose for it is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us understand who God is and how God works in the world. Being that we're humans, when these human attributes are moved towards God, it just really helps us to understand or to get a handle on who God is. And again, the one that I'm going to be referencing this morning is that of a shepherd. It's the idea of God being our shepherd. Now, one of the couple of things I want to admit at the outset, I grew up on a farm and we raised beef and chickens. And I have learned through study that sheep are nothing like beef or chicken. Nothing. Like not even a little bit. And now I know why all the farmers in Wisconsin never raise sheep. And one of the reasons is they're stupid. Like really, really stupid, supposedly. And do you know that God calls us sheep? Do you know? Isn't that affirming and confirming? But there really are reasons in the text why, especially the Older Testament writers were called by God to present God in such a way. And one of the primary forms in the Older Testament is that God is shepherd. Now, here's what's interesting to note. If you were to read even the Psalms, you would discover that God is presented a lot of ways, things like this. God is the fortress. God is the high tower. God is the one to whom you can run. God is your safety place or your refuge. You know what's interesting? None of those made it into the Newer Testament. None of them. The one that made it into the Newer Testament is the concept of God being a shepherd. It's the one that survived. And so in that, knowing that the Newer Testament writers knew the Older Testament, I had to ask myself, why? Why does the shepherd make it into the Newer Testament when things like fortress and high tower and refuge and all of that stuff didn't? And I think here's why. In the Newer Testament, God pursues us. A fortress, a refuge, and a high tower is a place you need to get to. Whereas the shepherd finds you. When you get lost, the shepherd pursues you. Your role in that is to be found. That's how it works. 
And so what I want us to do today is to take a really good look at the concept of God being the shepherd, and we're going to begin with Psalm 23. The first mention in the text of God being shepherd is found in this famous psalm that if you have been to a funeral, there's a good chance you've heard this psalm read. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. Now, full admission, this sermon is for the purpose of laying a foundation for the next sermons that you're going to hear. So it's going to be a little bit more teachy than normal, but I think it's important that we have the concept of God as shepherd and the rest of what we'll learn about what God is will be based on this. So here we go, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. It's worth noting that David was a shepherd. If you would remember, when he was a young boy, he took a sling, which was the weapon of a shepherd, and he would killed Goliath with that. His profession as a young boy, and we read it clearly in the text, was that of a shepherd. So David had huge understanding, much of which we're going to need to learn this morning. Here we go. Psalm 23, when David wrote this, he was king. He was no longer a shepherd, but king. The Lord is my shepherd... I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the King James has it this way, which I actually like better, is or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the metaphor changes. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a shift from shepherd to chef. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, my full confession is, although I grew up on a farm, we raised beef and chickens. That's what we raised. I realized in studying sheep and God as shepherd for many years, but really kind of diving into this in the last month or so and prepping for this sermon, I was stunned at how little I knew about sheep or being a shepherd. So guess what? You get to be the victims of everything I've learned for the last month about sheep and shepherd. What I want us to do is methodically walk through Psalm 23. How many of you have ever heard this psalm read before? You're familiar with it. What I want us to do is to understand it, and then we'll close in prayer. What the text tells us throughout the Bible is the worst possible position for a sheep is to be alone. A sheep is defenseless when it's alone. So one of the things the text teaches us is that together is always better than alone, but especially for sheep. And so as we read in our text, the king of Israel announces publicly, he says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. In other words, his shepherd is a good shepherd. 
A bad shepherd would be a shepherd of sheep where the sheep lack. They don't have what they need. The shepherd doesn't lead them appropriately, and we're going to dive into that next. But what David is saying at the beginning of Psalm 23 is that if you follow God, you will discover God is a good shepherd. You will have no lack. He will be faithful. Now, in reading the text, it teaches us that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and now David tells you why he has no lack. He explains clearly in shepherd language how God leads and what God does as shepherd. And here's what it says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. What I learned in studying this is actually quite simple. First of all, green pastures in Israel are not what they are in the U.S. When I was raised on a farm, we had plenty of pastures that our cattle were moved around to. And when you look at a green pasture on a farm in Wisconsin, what you would end up doing is walking through it and you'd look to see the quality of the pasture. If you had alfalfa in it, that was the best. Alfalfa hay was the most valuable hay it is because it's the most nutrient-rich and has the most protein. So you wanted alfalfa. And what you'd do is you'd walk, you'd look for alfalfa and clover, and by the way, you'd also bale that into hay. So when you think about a green pasture, you think about a green, lush, thick, dense pasture. That's not the case in biblical Israel. I've been Israel several times. And when you begin to look at the areas where the Bedouins to this day live exactly the same as they did during the time of Jesus, when you go there, what you discover is you don't see these pastures. As a matter of fact, to the untrained eye, everything is desert. Everything. Now, I am biased to kind of the landscape vision and view of Virginia. I like lush green mountains. How many of you? How many of you like the New Mexico, Texas, Colorado desert? We have one among us, and that's it. The majority wins. I love the lush green. Here's the thing. When you go to Israel, you don't see that. When you get on a bus on a tour in Israel, and you begin to head out, you begin to discover that it's all desert. And it won't be long before the guide who's leading you will begin to teach you about green pastures. And what you'll notice is you, every hill looks brown. And then what your guide will say is, now what I want you to do is begin to look at each hill. And when you look at each hill, all of a sudden, on a very small spot on a hill, you'll see a little wisp of green from the distance. When you get up to it, it's almost invisible. But when you see it from a distance, there's this wisp of green. And what the text tells us is, the shepherd, the good shepherd, knows how to find those, knows where they're located, and knows how to get the sheep to them. And so the text says of God through the heart of David that God makes him to lie down in green pasture. Here's the other thing that I learned. Sheep do not lay down unless they feel safe. So what the text is teaching is that God has led David to this hard-to-find green pasture. But not only does God know how to lead him there, 
But David feels safe in God's presence. And what these people teach us, if you were to read about Psalm 23 and people that know sheep, what they'll teach you is if the sheep are not calm, if the sheep don't feel safe, they stand. Sheep are defenseless. It takes them a while to stand up. And so all I know is I was raised on a farm. We had horses. By the way, with some strength and turning the bit in a horse's mouth, you can literally force a horse to lie down. You can't do that with sheep. The second you try to force them to lie down, they immediately pop back up. Not only this, but the text says that God is David's shepherd, leads him to these hard-to-find green pastures, but David feels safe. So he lies down, he rests. The text also says that God leads him beside quiet waters. I never knew this before, but in studying for this, sheep will not enter a moving stream. They won't drink from a moving stream because of the wool. They have this ingrown fear that if their wool gets in the water and it gets heavy, they'll drown. And so good shepherds know where the streams have a little inlet or they'll take their staff and dig a little drinking trough so that the sheep can come and take on water because if they step into the stream, they drown. And so what you get the sense of is David's perspective on God is that God knows how to lead him through the wilderness and the danger and the difficulties of life. God knows how to bring David to green pasture, God knows how to bring him to still waters or to quiet waters. And then the text says, he refreshes my soul. I have a question. How's your soul? Is your soul quiet and refreshed? Or is it upside down and chaotic? I think not only is David speaking about his spiritual experience, but he's also presenting something to us. How's your soul? Is it sideways or refreshed? Then the text tells us, not only does God do this for David, but it says he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. If you ever get the privilege of going to Israel, and I pray that you do, it's absolutely amazing. But when you get to Israel, you'll find that your guide will take you and you're gonna walk on one of these paths. I remember walking on one with this guy and one of the guides, and I was asking him a couple of questions. And he stopped our group and he turned around and he said, he said, I can almost bet that this trail that we are on, shepherds have walked this trail for 3,000 years. He said, I can guarantee it. And he explained why and why the route was what it was. But what David acknowledges is, God as a shepherd knows how to lead us on the right paths of life. I don't know how you are, but when I've ignored God and picked my own path, I have regretted it. Maybe it's just me. I don't think so. And so what the text teaches us is that God has a way of guiding and directing our steps 
on the right paths. And then the next phrase struck me for the first time, and I have read Psalm 23 at gravesides for three decades. And it's this, for his name's sake. Isn't that odd? He guides on right paths. He brings to green pasture. He brings a sense of heavenly calm into a chaotic earthly world. And people find rest for their souls. And he does all of this, and it ought to say, for the sheep. But it doesn't. David says, God does it for his name's sake. Well, people that understand the shepherding world explain it the following way. Almost all shepherds that are out in the desert don't own their own sheep. Almost all of them are hired. And your ability to take care of sheep becomes your namesake. In other words, if you're hired to take care of sheep, let's say you're 15 years old and it's your first foray into sheepdom, and you take these sheep out into the wilderness and you have 30 And you come back and there are five. What do you think your namesake is? Your name becomes, don't let that dude wash your sheep. Like, don't do that. But if you return and the sheep are healthy, and they have multiplied, and there's more than what you took, not only that, the wool is healthy, and the sheep are calm and healthy. That's your namesake. And what the text teaches us is that God's namesake is at stake with his sheep. That people look at the sheep and go, who's your shepherd? But God leads those who are open and willing to follow him. And then the text tells us, that even though I walk through the darkest valley, and I believe the King James is far more accurate, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you're with me. I have a question. Some of us are in the midst of a dark valley, and you sense that God isn't with you, because you haven't invited him into that valley. One of the things that I learned was to get from still water to green pasture oftentimes takes shepherds and sheep through extremely dangerous terrain. There's not a lot of grass in green pasture and sheep consume it quickly. And so the the job of the shepherd is to get the sheep without expending too much energy from one green pasture to finding the next one in the desert. But oftentimes, the route you have to take is incredibly dangerous. But I wonder about us. I wonder if, in the midst of the darkness of times, we truly stick with God. David did. One of the greatest heartbreaks of pastoral ministry is to watch people who have been following God go into the valley of the shadow of death and eject. Wouldn't it make sense that that's the time to stick with God? But I've watched people eject. 
David has been through the valley of death. He has faced assassination attempts even from his own son. And yet in the midst of it, he found that God could lead him through the darkest of times and he would fear no evil. Now one of the things that it tells us in this story, and it's kind of subterranean, but it's something to understand, is that everything we've read up until this point depends on one thing. And that is that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and respond. That's one of the things that all of the cultural commentaries teach, that all of this is based on the sheep hearing the shepherd's voice and responding. It's all of it. Now, I've had an experience being a parent that's going to sound demeaning to my children, but let me finish this story before you judge me. One of the things that you've noticed about me is that I have a gap between my teeth. Now, I got that gap between my teeth because when I was about two and a half to three years old, I rode my trike face first into a wall and smashed out my two front teeth. My mother gave me a popsicle, just so you know, because the dentist was out playing golf and wasn't ready to come back in yet. But here I have this, and one of the dentists explained to me the reason why I have a gap between my teeth is because there's scar tissue from that accident. But here's the neat thing. That gap has two purposes. Number one, it's easy to floss, like super easy. And number two, you can whistle. You can do it very quickly without even moving your mouth. You can just go, Psst. Well, here's the thing. I have whistled to my kids like that ever since they were tiny. Now they're all in their 20s. This is a true story. When I would kind of come in, I'd walk in the room and go, Psst, and they'd look up. Do you know that when they were little, they could be in an auditorium filled, and Fran and I would come sit down, and I'd go, Psst, and they'd all three turn and look. And they'd start looking, I could wave, hey, how you doing, you know, cute and all that fun stuff. It sounds so demeaning because you whistle to a dog. But to this day, if I see my kids and they're 20 and they're a long way off, I'll just go, and all three of them go, where's dad? Where is he? There he is. Hey, dad. You know what I mean? This is how sheep are. There's an incredible story that comes out of the Middle East during times of horrible military trouble, where there were fighting groups of people, and what the British did in order to keep the people economically alive as there were wars between tribes and factions in the Middle East, is they went and they forcibly took all of their farm animals and they moved them out of the war zone. And they didn't do it to punish, they did it to save the economic future of the people. Because what you do, if you can't kill people, you kill the sheep. And there's an incredible story of this British general where this little shepherd boy comes up to him when the war had quieted, and he asked to get a sheep, and there were thousands of sheep in a massive holding area. And he came up to this military leader, and he said, I'd like to take my sheep. And the guy said, how in the world is that going to happen? And the little boy said, I'm going to call them. The guy said, well, how many sheep do you have? He said, my family owns five sheep. And the military guy went, okay, that's interesting. And he opened the gate, and the little boy started to shout. 
And within about two minutes, five sheep lined up behind him, and he just led them home. The sheep hear his voice. That's what Jesus says in the Newer Testament. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. In closing, I want to read for us an episode from Jesus. And as I read it, I want you to keep Psalm 23 in mind. We're going to read the text, a brief comment, and close. It's the story of the feeding of 5,000. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. And what you need to know in the text, if you look in Mark chapter 5, John the Baptist was just killed by Herod. The people of Israel are now living in the valley of the shadow of death. And then we read, Mark 6, 30 and following. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. And send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, or he asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people, what does it say next? To sit down on green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he prepared a feast for them in the presence of their enemies. He took the fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And their cup was running over. It says the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish and the number of men who had eaten were 5,000. And the next thing Jesus does as he walks on the Sea of Galilee and he calms the water. Jesus fulfills Psalm 23 in this chapter of Mark. To the trained eye biblically, Jesus has become the shepherd of Psalm 23. He literally walks it out. My question is for you, will you listen for his voice and follow him? Let's stand together as we close. take a moment for those of us Lord who are in the valley of the shadow of death in the dark place I pray that you would speak and that we would hear your voice 
for those of us with an anxious presence and an anxious soul. I pray as your sheep, we would hear your voice and we would trust you. And we would declare that you are God and you are good and that you are the good shepherd.